Uh, with that, we're going to open up the scriptures now, so I encourage you to go ahead and get your Bibles out, open them to Proverbs chapter 2. A couple weeks ago, we started our series, you can see there, uh, foolproof in the book of Proverbs, and so Proverbs are able to make us foolproof, but by nature, we can be fools, and as we'll see today, we need the Lord to draw us to wisdom and to have His wisdom change us. So again, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 2. So Proverbs 2, you can also follow, follow along there on the screen. The scripture should be there as well, but always uh, would encourage you to have your own Bibles open. So please follow along as this is read, and this is the word of the Lord. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of, of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the wisdom in it. We thank you that you yourself personify wisdom. You embody wisdom. Wisdom was there with you, and the world was created for you are wisdom. Lord, we by nature are not wise. We by nature are foolish Lord, we confess that to you today. Lord, we ask that we would seek your wisdom, Lord, and, and receive it today and every day. Even now, as we ponder your word, Lord, we pray that we would grow in wisdom for your glory, that we would enjoy you more, that we would walk in a way that pleases you more, that we would be more fruitful for your kingdom in the world. So we pray that you would Open our, our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your scriptures now. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The complacency of fools destroys them. Proverbs 132. Again, I'll say that. The complacency of fools destroys them. Think of those, for instance, who were on the Titanic and lingered on the ship after, they received, after the ship received a deadly wound and they were think, thinking proudly, this ship can't sink. Their complacency destroyed them. Think of those who ignore the warnings of natural disasters, whether it be a hurricane or flooding or, or tornado or volcanoes, and think, I'll be okay. And they're not okay. They perish. Their complacency destroys them. Sarah and I once were kayaking in Madison on Lake Monona, and it's a good-sized lake, and we actually went the long way across the lake, and going across was fine, but once we got across, we had to come back. And out of nowhere, the wind picked up and was creating good-sized swells on the lake. To get back, we had to go right into them, right into the wind. If we stopped paddling, we would go backward. We could not be complacent. Our only option, if we wanted to get to the other side, was to keep paddling hard. Now think of yourself. Are you complacent spiritually? Or are you truly striving after God? Are you paddling aggressively or seeking to coast? The wind of the world is against the believer. Coasting does not work for the believer. For we know this world is not neutral, but is against God and against the things of God. We are in a spiritual battle. If we are not advancing, not fighting, not paddling hard, if we are complacent, we will be destroyed. If we are inattentive to wisdom, we are destined for ruin. And we really have to begin this message with that understanding. I'll say it again. If we are inattentive to wisdom, we are destined for ruin. But God, in His grace, makes wisdom available to us. And the main idea that we will see in our passage today is that when we value wisdom by giving it our attention, we will grow and be protected. When we value wisdom by giving it our attention, we will grow and be protected. We'll have two main points as we go through the passage with a few smaller points under them. And the first part of our passage will show us that we can have genuine growth in Christ through seeking wisdom, since the Lord gives wisdom to those who seek it. In the second part of our passage, we'll see how wisdom protects us in the world ensuring an environment of growth for us. So first, we see that we can grow in wisdom because the Lord gives it to those who diligently seek it. Notice that in this passage, it starts out, my son. So all that is being conveyed here is is as though it is the father speaking to a son. So love, concern, a certain seriousness are implied here. I will have concern for a child that is not my own, but it will not even compare to the concern that I have for my own children, right? So if we've trusted Christ, we are God's children. So these words are given to us with a a passionate, loving concern that God has for us, his children. So when we consider these words in verse, verse, uh, uh, verse one there, my son, 
If we are in Christ, we can think of the words spoken by God the Father to Jesus. My beloved Son, he said to him, in whom I am well pleased. In Christ, that's the attitude that God has towards us, his children. As a loving Father, he earnestly wants us to know the value and reward of wisdom. Seeking it diligently is the first part of attaining wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 puts it this way. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Could seem kind of head-scratching to us, but it is saying that the beginning of wisdom is to realize its value and do whatever you must to attain it. Note how in our passage the verbs go from moderately active to extremely active in verses 1 through 4. He starts by saying, receive, and then treasure up, then making your ear attentive, then inclining your heart. Then in verse 3, it takes a tick upward. Call out, raise your voice, seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasure. When I think of the imagery that this presents, I think of the eagerness of a child looking for Easter eggs but with the intentionality and insight of a seasoned explorer. It says we are to search for it as though search, searching for hidden treasure. Suppose I told you that there, were, that there is a million dollars buried in your yard somewhere. It's there. You just got to find it. Do you think you would shrug your shoulders and say, eh, maybe next year if I have time? No, I think we would all go out and we'd start digging right away. In chapter 1, verse 20, it says that wisdom cries aloud in the street. She is clamoring to be heard. But she will not be received by someone who is apathetic or indifferent to her. Only those who are striving to listen will actually hear her and benefit from her. The person who is attentive. This word attentive here captures so much. It entails a posture of humility but eagerness. Does that describe you? Humility but eagerness. One gauge to measure our humility and attentiveness is whether your mind ever changes about something. Do you ever change your stance or your position because biblical wisdom convinces you to do so? If not, that probably means you aren't too humble, and you aren't too eager to listen. We must be humble, attentive, and eager to listen. But the good news is that the person who is eager to listen is not left without direction. He doesn't have to go on a wild goose chase to find wisdom. And that's what the world thinks sometimes, that we have to look for it everywhere. No, it's found in the words and commandments that are already available Verse 1 says, my words, my commandments, those that are coming from the Father to the Son. Derek Kidner says, the search consists of treasuring and exploring received teachings so as to penetrate their principles. Wisdom is here. Wisdom is here. God has revealed it to us in his words and the commandments of Scripture. Is our attitude indifferent, apathetic? nonchalant or lazy? Or is it eager, humble, attentive, and diligent? One measure of our attitude towards wisdom, I would say, is scripture memory. What does your practice of scripture memory display about how much you are seeking after wisdom? This is a challenging point for me, too. At times, I've been fairly diligent 
in Scripture memory, but of, of late, I, I haven't been very diligent. So I'm challenging myself with this as well. I'm asking all of us to step towards that or to step back toward it. So we're seeking to help you this summer by identifying one verse per, per message in the book of Proverbs for us to, to memorize. Um, before it goes on the screen, hopefully you actually remember and did memorize Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you haven't memorized it and there's still time to do that, that was the first verse that we're encouraging you to memorize. And this week, the one that I wanted to identify is Proverbs 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Everyone can memorize scripture. Maybe harder for some than others, but all can. It's a matter of discipline and repetition. So let's seek after wisdom by being attentive to it. And one of the best ways to be attentive to wisdom is to memorize Scripture. Two weeks ago, Craig mentioned the folly of someone who showed up at the church but was, quote, above the service of setting up before church. If you were here, you probably remember that example. In a similar way, here the foolishness in view, the implicit in the text, is the person who already knows everything, who thinks he is above a certain Bible study or a certain teaching of Scripture. Because what the text is telling us is that we're to seek after it, we're to go after it as though it is hidden treasure. The one who, quote, already knows everything won't be doing that, and that's to his own folly. But God is infinite, and he's communicated to us in this book no matter how much you know about him or a certain aspect of theology, there's always more to learn. Always more to learn. Even the greatest theologians, the greatest scholars, there's always more for them to learn. So are you attentive? And I would ask with that, kind of another application is, are you an avid learner? I think some of us are gifted with that more than others, but I think it is to be a spiritual discipline for all of us is to, to, to seek learning in the scriptures. You know, one indicator of that is always reading. The amount that you read versus, you know, watching TV or, or doing other stuff. Wisdom is available to us first and foremost in this book, but then other, other wisdom, other books that God has given us about this book. So I would encourage you in that. This passage teaches that wisdom is not automatic for us. Ray Ortland says, We will never get there by drifting. You cannot become a significant person by being neutral and cute and safely unchanged. That is complacency. Complacency, indeed, is the enemy of wisdom. Those who take God's offer of wisdom seriously aren't complacent. They're active, attentive, Seeking it like silver, searching for it as for hidden treasure. So does that describe you? Seek to be honest with yourself. Seek to ask the Spirit to convict you where you need to be convicted. Because we are to seek wisdom diligently because the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. Verses 5 through 9 say, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom 
for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So verses 1 through 5 said the word if three times, if you actively pursue wisdom. And now, verses 5 through 9, the word then is used twice. So if you seek it like silver, then the Lord gives wisdom. An if-then relationship here. Now, if you're like me, as I was studying this passage, you may question, this sounds kind of legalistic. It sounds as though it's making an aspect of God's grace conditional, that this wisdom must be earned. But if we look a little closer, I think that we'll see that this is not actually the case. Legalism is thinking that I can do something to deserve the grace of God or make God pay attention to me. But that's not actually what is happening here. What this passage is saying is this overwhelmingly gracious gift of wisdom is being made available But you have to be paying attention, seeking after it to obtain it. It's not just going to fall in your lap. It's like if I said, and I don't have this to give, but hypothetically, if I said, the first person in here that raises his hand will get a million dollars. Go. Right? Okay, some of you are pretty quick. Good. Now, if I actually gave you the million dollars, would you have really done something to earn it? No, not really, but you had to be paying attention to get it, right? And it's kind of the same idea with wisdom. We don't earn it, but Scripture is clear that we need to be paying attention in order to receive it. We need to be seeking after it. So wisdom isn't earned. It's given graciously by God to those who are attentive and seeking after it. The Lord gives wisdom, but he gives it to the upright, as verse 7 says. Those that are seeking it and walking in integrity receive wisdom. So why is it not just given to everyone without any discrimination? Something that C.S. Lewis said is helpful here. He said, God cannot bless us unless he has us. When we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death. Therefore, in love, God claims all. There is no bargaining with him. The the type of pursuit of God, pursuit of wisdom that we've seen here in verses 1 through 5, is one which God has all of us. It's not half-hearted, it's whole-hearted. He's saying to us, he's saying to you, I am completely available to you, but will you make yourself available to me? And he says this as a loving father who loves his children so much that he doesn't want us to go astray. So are you completely available to God today? And are you demonstrating that by seeking after him and the wisdom that he offers? If you can't say that, if you can't say that you're making yourself completely available to God, what is it that is holding you back today? It could be a variety of things. I think often... One of the greatest is fear, right? We can be afraid to give ourself, our, all of ourself to God because it's a loss of control, right? But we know that He is loving and He always has the best for us. We can give ourselves completely to Him. So we can receive wisdom if we seek after it because God gives wisdom. What we see now is the growth aspect in verses 9 through 11. 
It says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Notice that verse 9 says you will understand every good path. And verse 10, that knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. True growth in Christ is not that we simply do what God wants us to do. We all know that you can do the right thing with the wrong heart. I think we've all been there and we've all probably done that. If you have children, are you truly pleased with your child if you ask him or her to do something and he or she says, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, if you have children, you know that happens. And I hope you're not pleased with that, right? True growth is when our heart's deepest desires align with God's deepest desires, with the submissive spirit. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that God changes all those who come to him, who surrender all of themselves to him. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And the beauty of the gospel is that Christ transforms hearts and minds in a way that surpasses lists and rules. Lists and rules have their place, but if we really want the wisdom to be, for instance, better stewards of our finances and not being credit card debt, or to be more loving and attentive husbands and dads, or to be more compassionate and intentional neighbors and friends, if we want wisdom for these super important things in life, lists, rules, and principles will not be enough. We need new hearts, new minds, new desires. And that's what God does in us when we are united to Christ by faith. It's the promise of the new covenant revealed in Ezekiel 36, 26, that in Christ we're given new hearts. And verse 10 in our passage points to this, saying, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Perhaps you're here today and you've tasted the misery of folly in a certain way, and you've desired a life of wisdom, but you haven't given yourself completely to the Lord, and you've settled for rules and principles, ways of managing that have left you unsatisfied and haven't really produced fruit either. Jesus says to you, he says to us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus graciously offers that we would learn from him. He says that in this passage. Come to me and learn from me. And in doing so, that we would find the long sought after rest that we have been looking for. But it doesn't happen without the yoke. In this passage, the yoke that is referred to is the yoke that oxen would use to pull or plow. And it was customary for a young, inexperienced ox to be placed in a yoke with an older, more experienced ox to learn from him. The yoke was a place of submission, right? In the yoke, you can't just do whatever you want. You're, you're in, there in that place. You have to submit. So it's a place of submission, but also a place of learning and growth for a young ox. And our invitation to the yoke, to be in the yoke with Jesus, is an invitation to submission. There's no being with Jesus. 
There's no rest that he promises. There's no learning his wisdom without the yoke, without submitting to him. And Proverbs has painted a picture of that submission for us in receiving his words, in inclining our hearts, in calling out for insight, in seeking the like silver, in searching for it as though searching for hidden treasure. So we've seen our main point here in the first section, that we can grow in wisdom because the Lord gives it to those who diligently seek it. Now in the second part of the passage, we see that wisdom protects us in the world ensuring an environment of growth for us. Perhaps you've done this. You've planted a small tree in your yard, and because it's a small tree and you want it to grow, it needs to be protected, right? Protected from the weed eater or the lawnmower or children playing in your yard. So you put something around it to protect it, right? So wisdom functions this way for us. It protects us in the world that we may grow. We see this in three ways in our passage. First, it protects us from devious men, second, from deadly women, and third, it protects you by keeping you in God's place of blessing. So first, wisdom protects us from devious men. Verses 12 through 15 say, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. The first part of our passage, we saw that wisdom sought and wisdom received produces a change in our palate, in our taste. We will still have battles of the flesh, but our cravings will have changed significantly because we have a new heart. Instead of, for instance, Primarily wanting chips and ice cream will primarily, primarily long for salad and steak. So the one who has wisdom, verse 11 says, will have discretion and understanding that guard them, delivering them from the way of evil men, from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Their tastes have changed from craving sinful activities with these devious men to craving then the glory of personally knowing Christ and tasting his glory and holiness. Verse 11 says that understanding will guard you. The type of guarding in view here isn't as though these devious men of perverse speech are necessarily actively seeking to entrap, and wisdom is pulling us out of their grip. No, it's, it's more so that we see them, and maybe they're the cool or the popular ones, and they're doing things that are attractive to our flesh. But because wisdom has won the day for us, those things no longer have the same appeal. It doesn't mean that we won't be tempted by them at all, but it means that wisdom has caused us to have discretion that watches over us, understanding that guards us. It could mean, yes, I see my neighbor has the latest gadget or toy or vacation or experience which she may very well have gone into credit card debt for, but I don't have to have that. I don't have to have all the world says I should have. I have Christ, so I'm going to steward my money to God's glory and find my contentment in Him. It could mean that while I'm going to be friendly to people at work, I may not necessarily engage in the worldly things they engage in or laugh at some of their jokes. We could think of thousands of examples where biblical wisdom dictates that we don't do what the world is doing. 
if you are in school, especially middle school or high school, I think this has a particular application to you. These men of perverted speech in this passage are often the, the cool kids. They are popular, but often don't love God. Instead, they love the things of this world. Sometimes part of you probably hopes they'll include you in their group. And maybe they have welcomed you. Or maybe they will seek to welcome you. But your inclusion would almost certainly mean the bending of some rules or some compromise. What you have to know is that it might only be a little at first, but it will lead to greater and greater compromise. Until, if you follow their path, one day you hardly recognize who you are or where you are. Because as it says in verse 13, you have forsaken the path of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness. The Lord who gives wisdom lovingly invites you to something different. Something that may feel harder at times, but in the end will lead to joy and fruit. He invites you to what we saw in the first part of the chapter, to seek wisdom, to receive wisdom, and to be changed by wisdom as you grow in Christ. We can be protected by wisdom from devious men for growth in Christ. Second, wisdom protects us from the deadly woman. Wisdom protects us from the deadly woman. Verses 16 through 19 say, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Notice this temptress has smooth words, right? Words something like, you make me feel alive again, you're handsome, or simply, I want you. Her speech, her attitude, her allure says, come to me and have a good time. Don't worry about the consequences. She can do that because she has rejected a relationship with God. Verse 17 says she forgets the covenant with her God. But there are consequences. Her house sinks down to death. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. When the marital covenant is broken, there is pain and brokenness. There are consequences that have far-reaching effects. As someone who did grow up in a broken home, I'm familiar with some of the devastation that can be involved with that. To be honest, I really wrestled with what this passage means when it says, nor do they regain the paths of life. Does this mean that those who have been adulterers or been affected by adultery cannot know and walk on the path of life? Can they not experience the abundant life that God promises? I think the answer is no, that that's not the case. They can experience the path of life offered in Christ. Proverbs are general principles. And here the father is saying to his son, I've seen many go down that road. And generally it doesn't end well. It doesn't mean it cannot end well for those who repent and turn back to Christ in faith. It means it's, not, it means it's going to be even more of an uphill struggle. It means that there is it means that there is much more stacked against you to overcome as you walk with Christ. But there is good news. 
very, very good news. Christ redeems and restores. He is our true and faithful husband who pursues each one of us who have broken our marital covenant with him. There might be some scars. While scars are a sign that something has been broken or torn, they're also a sign that healing has taken place. So we should allow the darkest water that we've treaded and the deepest pain we've endured to bring us closer to Jesus who brings healing. Allow our wounds, our scars, to be a story he will use for his glory. The Lord does redeem. Like any loving father, he'd rather his children heed his wisdom on the front end than personally experience the painful consequences that come with what he warned them of. Wisdom is able to protect us from the deadly woman or man, you could say, that we may grow in Christ. Wisdom protects us. And then finally, we see that wisdom protects us in God's place of blessing. It protects us in God's place of blessing. Verses 20 and 22 say, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. The treacherous will be rooted out of it. He says that the upright, the the wise here, will inhabit the land. In the Old Testament, the land was the place of God's blessing. It was given to God's people, and their enemies were expelled from it. The land was a place of rest and protection, yet not all entered it. Hebrews 3 and 4 in the New Testament show us that it was only obtained by faith. Those who rebelled, who didn't believe, died in the wilderness. They did not obtain the land. They did not obtain the rest that God had prepared for them. Those that inhabited the land were those that believed the promises of God in faith. For us today, those that obtain the place of God's blessing are those that abide in Christ by faith. Christ himself is the fulfillment of the promised land and the promised rest of God. Those that are in him have wisdom and the protection that comes from it. As the wise in the Old Testament inhabited the land by faith, they're in the land because they had trusted God and his promises. So we who are wise on this side of the cross abide in Christ and receive his rest. And as we abide in Christ, whom 1 Corinthians calls the wisdom of God, we are protected by wisdom to flourish in Christ. Wisdom, by giving it our attention, we will grow and be protected. And the question for us, of course, is do you value wisdom? Do you seek after it in the ways that this passage instructs us to seek after it? We can grow in wisdom because the Lord gives it to those who diligently seek it. But we must be attentive to wisdom, and we must diligently seek it. And then wisdom protects us in the world, ensuring an environment of growth for us. It protects us from devious men, from deadly women or men. And it keeps us in God's place of blessing. We can't be complacent, however, as we saw at the beginning. 
if we are, if we stop paddling, if we stop seeking wisdom, the waves will push us back and will eventually be destroyed. Wisdom is available. She cries aloud in the street, yet not all hear her. The apathetic or indifferent are deaf to her. She is heard by those that receive and treasure up the Father's words, the words of wisdom, those who make their ears attentive and incline their hearts to understanding, who call out for insight and raise their voice, who seek wisdom like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. We have to keep seeking diligently with the humble, attentive attitude. We have to continue asking Christ to make our hearts soft and make our minds moldable. The blessing and protection of wisdom is our reward. Christ himself is our reward. Let's pray. Amen. For those of us who are in Christ, it is well with our soul. Praise be to God. I wanted to leave us with a couple verses from Revelation. It gives us a picture of what we will be doing eternally when our faith becomes sight. This is from Revelation 5, 11 and 12. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. For all eternity, we'll be proclaiming the worth of God. One of those aspects is His wisdom. Let us today go out proclaiming His wisdom and seeking His wisdom. For there we will enjoy Christ Himself. Go, you are sent.